and welcome to a special Christmas episode of Beauty from the Heart. I'm your host, Rose Gallagher, and today I've got a special festive chat at my sleeve as the final episode of Series 3. Let's be honest, Christmas is going to be a little bit different this year and when I was thinking about some of the things that mean most to me at Christmas, watching Love Actually is at the top of the list. It's one of my favourite films all year round actually, excuse the pun, and so taking us behind the movie magic today is the hair and makeup director from the film, Graham Johnston. So, Graham, thank you so much for joining me. Not at all, Rose. My pleasure and delighted to talk about love, actually, after all these years. Oh, my goodness. I just think, Graham, I mean, there's so many bits of your career, actually, that I want to talk to you about. But I feel like there is something so comforting and always reassuring about that film. Exactly. And it's funny enough, Rose, of all the films I've done over the years, it's the one film, if I mention I've done it, people's faces always light up. <laughs> Not just, it's such a lovely, good feel film and one you can watch again and again. And it doesn't really age, even though it's quite a long time ago now. No, that's it. And I think one of the things that's so lovely about film is that it can evoke so many memories and it will always mean something different to each different person. And so I suppose the lovely thing for you is that you've been part of this piece of magic that means so much to so many people. Yes, it's lovely that a film has such a a warm effect on people and they remember it with nostalgia. So it's great to have been part of that type of film. And as I say, it can be watched again and again, year after year, and it never loses its charm. That is it, exactly. But first of all, Graham, I really, I just think you've got such a fascinating backstory. So I'd love to go back to the very beginning with you. Were you always quite creative as a young boy? Yes, I suppose I was. I mean, we did quite a lot of arts and crafts at school, you know, pottery, knitting, sewing, various arts and crafts. And then after I left school, I eventually decided to go to art school at Wimbledon and study costume. And although it was more of a practical course, I mean, we did do design, but it was more making costumes. It made me realise how much I enjoyed working with my hands and creating characters. And then while I was studying at art school, I got a summer job at BBC Scotland in Glasgow as a dresser in the wardrobe department. And that's where I first discovered the makeup artist and thought, oh, that's a job I think I could like. For the sake of me, I'm not 100% sure what that job would entail as a dresser. So what were kind of the set of responsibilities you had when you were in that remit, first of all? Well, basically, it was getting the costumes ready for the artists. So they were laid out for the scene that they would be playing in, that they're washed, ironed, and all right for continuity. And although I enjoyed the job very much, I really started to envy what the makeup artists were doing. They were creating hairstyles and makeup for these characters And I just decided that that kind of job where it was artistic, but also dealing with people and involving uh, interaction with people sort of fulfilled the two things I enjoyed doing the most. So then from there, I know that you undertook, um, it's not available anymore, but I remember I used to see them on the website and think, God, that looks brilliant. One of the BBC makeup training courses. So what was that experience like? Oh, I was very fortunate to manage to so blag my way into that. <laughs> um, I hadn't actually done hair and makeup beforehand and actually was a bit naive, not realising that there was various courses, etc. that people had studied 
before applying for the BBC. Um, so I think youth and naivety managed me to talk my way into becoming a trainee makeup artist. But it was a fabulous course. It was an intensive three-month course where you all gathered together in London. And it was called the Training School. And you all did the various beauty makeup, special effect makeups, wigs, hairstyling. I did find it very tough at first to try and keep up because it was all new to me. But then I suppose like a sponge, I was willing to soak it all up. Oh, I can't even imagine. And like, I think hair and makeup is one thing to master but having to consider all of those different elements like you mentioned there a moment ago you know the idea of continuity if you need to keep a character looking exactly the same from scene to scene I mean the attention to detail must have been so intense it is quite intense because you have to you mean for instance you may have someone walking through a door on location and then two weeks later they come into the room and you have to match everything exactly, which is down to detail, notes, used to be Polaroid photos in my <laughs> in right. the old days, now we go digital. Um, I mean, sometimes there can be problems. Years ago, I worked with an actress who had two weeks off and decided without anyone asking her to go and have her hair trimmed. So we have her coming through a door with her hair <laughs> shorter. So in that instance, there's not a lot you can do. <laughs> the audience doesn't notice. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it, as well, that you'd probably be thinking, oh, how lovely. I've got my two weeks off. I'm going to even things like, God, if that was me, Graham, I'd have had a Chinese and a few glasses of wine. And God knows what I'd be coming in the door two weeks later. Oh, I know. Yeah. I have also had people going on holiday when they have time off because schedules are all, they're not all in continuity. So you're shooting different scenes at different times. And there's been instances where people have been off and had a bit of a holiday in the sun. Actually, <laughs> tan is one of the most difficult things to try and cover up with makeup. Oh my gosh, I've never thought of that. But you know what I think is interesting as well when it comes to, you know, hair and makeup for film and TV. When I was going through some of the films you've done, Graham, and I mean, some of them are just so iconic and incredible. One of the ones I spotted was Train Spotting. And Ewan McGregor looked so poorly. He looked unwell. And I bet so much has gone into that, you know. Well, yes. I mean, luckily, you did lose a lot of weight, which helped for the part. But then I had to do research about drug addiction, how it affects people physically, skin tones, etc., and then create that onto his face. So it was quite a challenge, but a really interesting challenge, I have to say. And that's one of the things I really enjoy about film and TV makeup is the variety of it. It's great. It's lovely doing beauty makeup, but it's great doing character makeup. And sometimes that can be much more of a challenge than, say, a beautiful makeup on a beautiful girl. And when you're creating a character, Graham, if I'm thinking that you have a vision for what this person is going to look like, the actor or actress probably has a vision. There are probably other people within the team that have a vision. How do you all marry your visions together? Well, it is, as you say, it is very collaborative. And um, the director has his input, the producers have their input, the actor has his input. And I have to kind of steer a middle course, trying to keep everyone happy, <laughs> but also being true to the script. I mean, the script will be my starting point to see where they are going visually. And then the contribution from the costume designer, how they perceive the character, whether, you know, groomed, ungroomed, messy, you know, tidy. 
it's a kind of building blocks that you do gradually and you have test makeup, test costumes. So it's not people just arrive in the day, in they come and off they go. Although sometimes you have day players that that's what you're left with. Now, one of the films that I really, really want to ask you about, because it's a film, but it was part of a wider movement. I'm going to get the exact name actually up. You were the chief hair and makeup on Spice World. I mean, what was that experience like? Oh, it was such great fun, I have to say. The girls were delightful. They were really up for it. And um, it was so of the moment, and they were so big at the time. Yeah. It was a great film to do. And plus all the uh, visiting actors, you know, with Sir Roger Moore. Yeah. Oh, gosh, I can't even think of all the There were so people. many. There was um, Richard E. Grant was in there as the manager. Um, That's right. Jennifer Saunders. I mean, we could go on all day. There were so many really iconic people, wasn't there? And I just think with the Spice Girls, for the likes of them, it must have been really fascinating to be part of that thing that was inspiring so many people and also that all five of them were so beautiful and different in their own way, which I think looking at how we see things now, that was really ahead of its time and really quite powerful to have that lovely spectrum of all things beautiful. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, it really was girl power came to the fore and they were very much the the leading force in that. And I think they tried to reflect that in the film, um, and then we did kind of iconic female characters, although funny enough, some of them weren't quite sure who certain characters were. It was like, who's Jackie O? You know? <laughs> <laughs> but they were, you know, they were young and, and they were just young, full of life. And they did work incredibly hard because we were filming during the day. And then after we finished filming, they had a huge mobile recording studio because they were recording their second album, I think, at the time. So they then go into that for hours to record. So they really worked so hard for that project. And do you know what, Graham? I know that, say, in an average year, you might be away from home for, say, eight months of the year. What does your routine look like when you're keeping up with these projects that are just here, there and everywhere? Like, what does that look like for you in your lifestyle? Well, basically, your life is the film or the project, whatever you're doing, TV or film. So I will go away, lock up my house, and then my life is wherever I am filming. And you just make a line for yourself. So what I always try and say to people who are maybe wishing to follow that career is you have to think of it more as a lifestyle than a job. It's not nine to five. You might not be there for family get-togethers, birthdays, weddings, whatever. So there is a price to pay, and that has been difficult over the years. I've missed many occasions that I'd love to have gone to, but I was either too far away or I was filming that day. So it's a price that you have to realise that that has to be paid if you wish to pursue the career. And I suppose the high of that is that you are part of these kind of moments in time. Your films, Graham, some of them are just, you know, about a boy, Anita and me, Johnny English, things that we've all seen and absorbed. But I also noticed, for example, like you've done a lot of films with Renee Zellweger and Rachel Weiss, and you must form quite strong relationships with people that you work with time and time again because it's a very intimate relationship that we have with our hairdressers or our makeup artists, isn't it? Oh, yes, very much so. And with Renee and Rachel, you know, very 
very luckily they've asked me you know over the years to come and be their makeup and hair artist and I have a lovely relationship with them but you always keep it to slightly professional level you know you're not there to swamp them with your personality you're not there to hang out with them the whole time yes I've been out for dinner with them etc but at their invitation it's not because they're not friendly or welcoming but there's your professional life and there's your private life so you have to balance the two really and not be too much but not too much their best friend maybe they're confident maybe their support but um, there's a balance to be made there definitely um now speaking of Renee I was thinking if I could speak to anybody for Christmas, I would love to speak to Graham because he knew the inner workings of hair and makeup, one of my big passions of two of my favourite films, I'm going to say. I'm going to start with Bridget Jones. Now, for me, I just think Bridget Jones, we could do... 10 episodes on her but she is such a beacon of hope and inspiration because she's so normal and we all relate to her and all love her what was it like creating such a lovable character what did that look like for you well for me it was really to capture the essence of Bridget Jones now I remember those girls being the age that I am Um, and at that point with a particularly British girls It wasn't the false eyelashes, it wasn't the hair extensions, the nails, it was very much a kind of natural, simple look. And when Renée arrived, she had really quite long hair, and I managed to convince her. I mean, she was very open for it, but I managed to convince her to have her hair cut shorter to the length that you see in Bridget Jones. And also, we didn't do a lot of hair dressing on her because... She was a kind of character and would jump out of bed in a panic, <laughs> maybe put on a bit of mascara. And there were some comments from the American studio about, oh, the hair needs to be bigger. And oh, she's not very made up. And it's like, yeah, that's the character. So I tried to be true to Bridget and not to the sort of ideas of what a Hollywood star should look like. And I have to say, Renee was utterly 100% with me to create the character correctly and not her private, you know, beauty ideal. Although she's, vanity is not something that Rainey suffers from. And it's so true, actually, Graham. You're so spot on that the reason why Bridget Jones was so lovable and beautiful in that film is that you could see that all of those gestures, like her hair or her makeup, she had done herself. And she was a girl we could all relate to who'd done a beautiful job of herself. Exactly. And I think that really was what I really was determined to stick to was she's not, you know, she's not a model. She's this slightly chaotic, lovable, ordinary girl. And I really wanted to reflect that in her hair and makeup. So there are times is she does maybe look a little bit messy, but then I felt that was right for the character. And my job is making that decision. In fact, with some people, I don't put any makeup on, particularly the men. You go, no, this isn't right for the character. It doesn't need it. You need to do a little corrective, say if they're too shadow under the eyes, or obviously a, a blemish might need to be covered, partly for continuity. But it's important to realise when you need the makeup and when you don't need the makeup. Is it different that at the time that you're making it, you have a favourite bit and then maybe you watch it back and something else sticks out to you? Or what is it like to see this two hour finished edit of something you've worked on for all of that time? Well, sometimes you can be quite surprised. You go, oh, that's what it's about in the film. I mean, I obviously know the script, etc. 
But really, once the editor gets the film and starts piecing it all together, they can make a break of film. And sometimes you think, oh, right, I see how that worked. Because sometimes you're watching a scene thinking, I'm quite sure how that will fit in. And then you see the sort of finished woven film and you go, ah, I get it now. I get it now. And there's some films you work on, you think, oh, gosh, this is going to really, you know, really be big. And unfortunately, when it comes to it, the public don't like it and that's it. So it's, it's quite hard to judge. And I think that is the thing about films. It is a bit of a gamble. You can have a great cast, what appears to be a great script, and then somehow in the process, it kind of loses it. You know, um, I worked in a film and it, the script was so funny and really great, this great character. And in the finished result, it kind of lost it because they'd missed out some of the comedy stuff, the cut dialogue. And you thought, gosh, there was a missed opportunity. So it, it's it's always a bit of a surprise to me, Rose, when I see the film. I'm always quite excited to see it. Oh, yeah. What was your favourite bit of that film, of the original Bridget Jones? Oh, no, my favourite bit. Oh, I think my favourite bit was at the end with Colin Firth and the school. Do you know something? I have watched Bridget Jones and Live Actually. I mean, Live Actually is a different kettle of fish that we'll come on to in a minute. But Bridget Jones, I've seen so many times. And I watched the two of them close together this week so that I had them all fresh in my head for our chat. And one of the things that I think only just hit me about Bridget Jones was the bit at the end when uh, Colin Firth had said to her, you know, you're perfect just as you are. And then the friends did the toast in front of him saying, we think she's perfect just as she is. That was a really, really powerful message to have in a film. And I think now more than ever... We need those messages to come from our loved ones because we're in this crazy social media, mobile phones, airbrush society and bloody hell, like it's nice to have something so positive. Yeah, I mean, in a way they kind of sort of saw ahead how things might become, that people become too obsessed with, you know, the exterior look of people. Um, and as you see with social media now and also people photoshopping their images, etc., that people's ideals are, are getting a bit, you know, out of hand. It's a bit sort of like, there was Bridget, she was pretty, but she wasn't, you know, obsessed with her look and yet she was so loved and adored by the men and by her friends and by all, you know. Um, Actually, one of the other scenes I really enjoyed, which was funny, I liked when she was with Hugh Grant in the open top car and then she arrives with her hair <laughs> and flies all stuck in her sunglasses. That was fun as that well. That was such a good one, actually. And I mean, especially because we're so used to seeing her <laughs> completely different. That must have been hilarious <laughs> to film. And there was a lot of teasing and mating of hair and a lot of hairspray involved for that hairstyle. Um, I mean, because it was a comedy drama, you know, some of the scenes and the looks I created are a bit heightened because, you know, it is a comedy and you want to sort of, sort of earmark that. Oh, and now, Graham, the main thing that I really wanted to talk to you about today, it's one of my favourite films of all time. I just think it is such a tonic and everybody loves it. I would love to talk to you about Love Actually. Oh, it is a a fabulous film. It really is. It's a real classic. So from the very beginning of that one, how did you first hear about Love Actually? What was the first kind of introduction you had to that film? Well, basically, I was approached about it because I'd worked for the production company doing Bridget Jones, etc. And very 
luckily was given the job to be the head of hair and makeup and um, read the script. And then we had a, a read through where all the different characters were there. I mean, one of the things that was really interesting about that film was there was not one lead star. Everyone was a character and everyone in their separate episode was the star, but it wasn't like where you have a leading man, a leading woman. And that was, you know, it was a collaborative piece. So that was very interesting to work on. I bet. And like in that context, do you have a really large team? Do you have a makeup artist dedicated to each kind of episode within it? How does it work from a logistic point for you? Well, no, I would have my main team. I think there was four of us main team and each one was done slightly episodic. Um, so it was done as a complete piece and then some overlapped like the, the airport scene where they're all gathered at the airport, etc. And then you have extra help in when you've got crowd or, for instance, you've got a guest artist that's maybe in for five days. So it is, you know, I've got to work out not just the looks, I've got to work out the logistics of how to make it work. And the production doesn't want people to make up for five hours. They want them done, ready to start shooting, say, at eight in the morning. So I have to work out, right, how many of us are there? How many can we get ready in that time? So it's a logistic um, problem. as well. Not a problem, it's a logistical thing as well. And it must have been so lovely to kind of have all of these different characters to unpick. Um, I've never watched it from the perspective of having a close eye on hair and makeup. And so the other day I thought, put that hat on and think about those things when you're watching it. And there was one moment that really stuck out to me that I felt like the makeup for me added to a bit of the heartbreak. And one of the most upsetting scenes without a shadow of doubt is when Emma Thompson goes into Alan Rickman's pocket and she and she thinks this necklace is for her oh no that is I mean Emma's fabulous in that scene I mean it's so heart-rending it really is what jumped out to me she was so excited when she saw that necklace and thought it was for her and then the next time we saw her she had this really bold red lip on that I hadn't really seen her have something quite so striking on anywhere else in the film and you could tell that the fact that she thought he had spoiled her and made a big fuss of her had made her feel really gorgeous really sexy my husband loves me he's made a fuss of me and I just I I really felt it 10 times more sad when I saw that that kind of realization hit her Oh, that's great. I'm glad you noticed that subtle <laughs> sort of hint. But that's what you try and do. You kind of sort of look at the scene and see, as you said, oh, she thinks, oh, wow, you know, he really does care and he's gone to this gift and I'm going to make an effort. So with subtle touches like, say, a stronger lipstick or, say, less lipstick, in each scene of a film you try and reflect the mood to an extent with the hair and makeup. You're trying to tell a story. So, you know, you may end up, for instance, someone starts off quite well groomed and then during a chase scene or a decline in, you know, whatever's happening in the story, that it becomes less and less. I mean, I did years ago have an actress who had meant to be on the run for two weeks from kidnappers, etc. 
and was demanding full hair and makeup and was stamping her foot about it. And we were going, well, no, you've been on the run for two weeks. You've been hiding out. I will have my... And they eventually the director had to step in and say, you will do as you are told. No, you're not having full glam makeup, full lipstick, hair done, etc. You know, you've been on the run for two weeks. So I'm definitely hit some problems as well. <laughs> Do you have any memories of, you know, a really funny moment in the makeup chair or a scene that you were really excited to get them ready for? Well, I, li- I liked the scene when um, Hugh Grant goes to pick up. Martine McCutcheon. I love when he goes to pick her up and all our family are there. Oh, that was hysterical. I thought that was hysterical. Uh, so it was interesting getting all those characters ready because they were all, like, you know, really excited about it and it was quite a big number and we were shooting on location. That was a real house we were shooting at. So everyone was jammed into that hallway. So that that sticks out. That was one that sticks out in my memory. With kind of bringing the emotion of everything to life, another one that really sticks out to me, Laura Linney. Oh. Oh, I mean, her whole storyline just completely breaks my heart. Oh, it, it was heart-rendering, wasn't it? And she's such a fabulous actress, such a great actress. She really is. And she did it so well. And I think throughout the film, but in particular her moments, the music can be so powerful as well. And it can just... You know, you have yeah. butterflies in your stomach, excited for her that it's finally happening with Carl. Oh, I know. It was such a lovely, that was actually a lovely romance story. I really liked that one. So at the time, Graham, like for me, I'm not just saying it. I vividly remember the day I saw Love Actually in the cinema. I remember the friends that I was with from secondary school. And we went to one of our friends was having like a little house party afterwards. And we went to Vicky's house and we said, you you have no idea this film we've just watched. We all absolutely loved it. Did you know at the time that you were just making this piece of complete magic? No, I thought it was a charming film. I thought all the different threads and stories all intertwined very nicely. But no, I just thought, oh, that's a nice little film. I had no idea that the, the lasting effect and impact we have had. I mean, I should have been. I mean, Richard Curtis is a great writer, etc. Um, but it just seemed to really resonate with people and has continued to do so. You know, as you see, lots of people watch it again and again. It has become a bit of a Christmas favourite. And it's, it's incredible, and, and it's lovely to be part of that. You know, I've been very fortunate some of the films I've done over the years have become, if not iconic, at least a very much a part of people's cultural history. And it's lovely to have been, you know, in my small way, a part of that. Definitely. And I think Love Actually is just, it's so powerful. It is a tonic at any time of year and it must just be so um, special to know that you've been part of something that really brings a lot of comfort to so many people. Oh, no, that's lovely, Rose. Thank you so much. Yes, no, it is. And even, we actually even spiced the movie. People (gasps) always brings a smile if I see I've done that. You know, they always go, oh, you did Spice World. Spice World, honestly, like 
That is something as well. I I don't want to be dramatic. I'm incredibly passionate about the Spice Girls. I had to rein myself in when we touched on the Spice World segment there. (laughs) But like that changed the world. I believe that girl power movement. I feel like we're seeing now this generation of young people, men and women, that grew up believing they could do anything they wanted to do because they were the role models that we had. Exactly, exactly. Unfortunately, at the time we did it, they referred to me as Oak Spice, which I was rather insulted by. (laughs) (laughs) Graham, what is your favourite thing about Christmas and this time of year? My favourite thing about Christmas, I just love all the build-up. I love the decoration of the Christmas tree in the house. Um, I love a Christmas cracker. I just like all the trimmings. I like it all. I just really enjoy it. Um, I love the movies on TV that you've watched year after year. And just the whole thing of families getting together and being together at that time, which obviously this year might be a little bit of a problem, but um, that's another matter. I know. And one thing actually that I love about your story, Graham, I love that you are very much a champion of people to be able to do whatever they want to do and take a leap of faith. And, you know, you've said to me before that you love building up new people, thinking of going on maybe a hair and makeup journey or whatever it is. Um, and I think this time of year in particular, lots of us have a moment to reflect, recharge, think about what we want for the new year. What words of wisdom do you have for someone who is thinking, do you know what, when this new year comes along, I am going to do that thing that I feel I now am able to tackle? Well, I think it is to, it sounds a bit cliche, but it is to follow your dream or your desire. I mean, I decided I wanted to be a makeup and hair artist. Now, I had no background. I hadn't done any courses, etc. Yes, I was very fortunate to blag my way into the BBC course. But it was a journey I was willing to take. And although I had, you know, some setbacks, I felt I didn't know what I was doing some of the time when I was starting. I was training with people who were much more experienced than me. But I kept thinking, well... If they can do it, I can do it. And I think that's what you have to keep in mind. It's like, just don't put yourself down. Just keep that dream in focus and go for that. I love it. And one last thing, Graham, it's so funny. Usually at the end of a chat with anyone, I say, okay, well, you know, thank you so much and tell us where we can find you. And I actually love that you were quite the person to find because I couldn't (laughs) see any social media. And I thought, do you know what? That is so exciting because we live in this culture where all of us, you know, me included, I'm always putting things up on the internet and whatever. It was so lovely that, no, I have to, you know, figure out where you are, (laughs) find you. I'd literally found you on the credits as my first port of call. How does that look like for you that you have not dipped a toe into this world that seems to be absorbing everyone? And to be honest, I'm not sure it's for the positive. A man of mystery, that is I. Absolutely. (laughs) I don't Maybe I should be much more out there on social media. I mean, it is the way of the world now. But to a certain extent, it's kind of, A, I like my privacy and... I don't really want to post what I'm doing, where I'm at. Um, and secondly, I, I, it probably partly to do with my upbringing that I was always told, don't get too big for your boots. <laughs> so I, I sometimes look at people's social posts and think, oh gosh, that's a bit 
sort of blowing your own trumpet. Um, So there's a little bit of that. And I suppose a little bit of um, reserve from my point of view. I can think, oh, well, who's going to be interested particularly? Um, But maybe it's it's something I have to look look to. But um, I haven't found it has, has done my career any harm particularly. I think it's the most inspiring thing to be speaking to you, Graham, who has worked on all of these projects. Like I saw Gladiator on the list or The Lovely Bones. That is one of my favourite ever books. You know, how lovely that you can still achieve and do all of these great things. And you've got the balance of that privacy and everything in check. I think it's brilliant, Graham. Oh, well, thank you, Rosa. I've been very fortunate and hopefully will continue to be. I, the main thing I enjoyed about my career is it's it's all very eclectic. It's a real mixture of different types of genres of films and TV. And that's what I enjoy is doing, you know, one minute I'm doing a comedy, then I'm doing a thriller. So I've enjoyed the variety and each job then brings a different challenge and interest to it. So that's, variety is the spice of life, put it that way. Absolutely. Well, Graham, I am so delighted you were able to join me. This has literally made my 2020. I've been so looking forward to talking to you today. Oh, you're too kind, Bruce. Thank you. No, it's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. It's, it's interesting for me to sit and then reflect upon my career, which I don't always do. And do you know what? I think especially this time of year is a great time to think about that. I think that lots of us in general don't sometimes we're so in this society of being busy and one thing after another that sometimes it's so important to just take a step back and think rather than looking ahead I'm going to give myself a pat on the back for that thing I was proud of or that thing I was part of exactly exactly I think you know you have to build the positive and try and put down the negative I try to anyway not always easy but it's always trying to build the positive and in every new project I think oh no this will be the one I get found out this will be the one they realize I don't know what I'm doing and then you have to say you know what like think back at other projects you managed to do that you overcame that obstacle you know just get on with it basically well Graham thank you so much for joining me and I hope you have a lovely lovely Christmas Thank you, Rose. It's been an absolute delight to talk to you. And I wish you a very Merry Christmas too. Hope Santa's good to you. You too. Thank you, Rose. Oh, Graham, I absolutely loved that. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Graham as much as I did. And I just want to say a huge thank you for listening to the podcast this year. As always, it's been a total joy to make and share with you. And I also just want to give a really special mention to my friend Ella who puts it together for me. She takes any mistakes and hiccups and quite frankly, moments where I can't string a sentence together and somehow makes them into magic. So Ella, thank you so much for everything this year. We'll be back in the new year. And for now, I want to wish you and your loved ones a happy and healthy Christmas. Take care and I'll be talking to you soon. Lots of love. Bye.